Hey everyone, welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. And this is the podcast where we talk about all things gymnastics. And this week we have a very important episode. We're joined by 1997 U.S. National All-Around Champion Vanessa Atler, as well as Kathy Beach, who is the program coordinator for the Courage First Athlete Helpline. We wanted to help raise awareness for this helpline because we feel like it's something super important for coaches and athletes to be aware of if they have concerns with emotional, physical, or sexual abuse within the sport and aren't sure where to turn to. So... We're super grateful to have Kathy and Vanessa here. Vanessa obviously being a former elite level gymnast and kind of just getting her perspective as a former elite athlete on what she went through, red flags, advice, all of those things. We also just want to provide a trigger warning before you start listening. This episode doesn't go into super great detail, but we do talk about eating disorders that is mentioned briefly, as well as the former USA gymnastics doctor. He is mentioned by name at one point in this episode, so we just wanted to give a heads up so nobody's caught off guard by that. With that being said, the website and the number for the Courage First Athlete Helpline is in the show notes down below. We would appreciate it if you guys would help us spread the word, and we hope that you enjoy our conversation with Vanessa and Kathy today. We are super excited to be joined by Kathy Beach, who is the program coordinator for the Courage First Athlete Helpline, as well as Vanessa Atler, who is the 1997 U.S. All-Around National Champion and a two-time gold medalist from the 1998 Goodwill Games. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I think maybe a good place to start is to have both of you give a little bit more about your background in the sport and then kind of what it is that you do today. So Kathy, if you want to go first and just tell us a little about your background and what it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say Vanessa needs no introduction. <laughs> right, right. We all know um, Vanessa Adler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I am the program coordinator of the Courage First Athlete Helpline. So it is a new helpline. We'll get into this later, I know, but it's a new helpline between um, Child Health, who runs the National Child Abuse Hotline, and then the Foundation for Global Sports Development. So I have been working with the Athlete Helpline, and then I also do abuse prevention for our advocacy center in Phoenix. And I'm a marriage and family therapist in MFT, and I've also been working in child welfare for about a decade. And I was a gymnast growing up, so I'm from Canada. So I did most of my gymnastics in Canada and then moved to Arizona when I was like around 12. And then I coached later on um, during college and after at um, Gold Medal Gym in Chandler, Amanda Borden's gym. And that kind of brings us to today. Yeah, you really have a perspective then from all different avenues as an athlete, a coach, now a social worker. I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, working on this helpline has been amazing because I feel like it's just melded all of my experiences and like passions together. So yeah, I'm really excited to share it and spread awareness about it. And I know one of you just started an MSW program, right? Yes, me. Yes. Yeah, okay. I was at Eastern Michigan University for a year and then I took a year off because I wanted to transfer to University of Michigan. It's been my dream school. So it's a great social work program. I'm very excited. Cool. All right, Vanessa, we know you don't need an intro, but if you want to give us one. <laughs> okay, I'll try to do a very quick little uh, brief story. So I started gymnastics when I was five and a half, and I fell in love with it right away. Kind of went through the whole USA gymnastics system, competing in compulsories, and probably around the age of 11, I kind of found the gym that I did most of my career in, and I did elite gymnastics when I was 12. 
And then I, I won the 1996 Junior National Championships. And then the following year won the senior. And that's kind of when I became, I think, the like the poster child for the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Um, and that's kind of when everything started for me. You know, I had a, I had some great moments in there, but then a lot of the pressure and depression and eating disorders and mental health issues and switching coaches and injuries and things like that throughout that time from 97 to um, 2000 had happened. So I went through a rough time there and then it all ended kind of a Olympic trials where I didn't make the team. And just since then, it's just been that healing process and a healing journey of where I am today. Um, I did coach for a long time also, which was very healing. But yeah, basically that's just kind of my, my journey is is healing as an adult now and trying to break cycles and help um, gymnastics moving forward. So the reason we're all here today, like we mentioned, to talk about the Courage First Athlete Helpline, but before we kind of get into that and what that is, I thought, Vanessa, it would be good if you could kind of just start to almost give an athlete or a former athlete's perspective on the culture of gymnastics and just sports in general. It's, it can be very intense. You know, we see athletes being pushed really hard. We see unhealthy habits being forced, athletes afraid to speak out. We see the effects of athletes, kind of like yourself, dealing with a lot of pressure and ex expectations that are placed on you. So when you were a gymnast, what kind of things did you experience or see happening that almost became normalized in that intense sport environment? Yes. I mean, I, I always say gymnastics, I feel like is just so behind. I know there's lots of sports that struggle and need to kind of like get into 2023, but I think gymnastics mm -hmm. definitely is one that is very behind. And I think it has skyrocketed forward a lot since the whole Larry Nassar movement. And it's it's definitely helped us move forward, but there are still definitely issues. I think one of the best examples is usually from the whole Carrie Strug thing at the Olympics. And I think people can really relate to that is it's something that we looked at as heroic and, and it is, it still is heroic. And, and I don't want to take anything away from her because it was an amazing moment. And I could still watch that video clip of her vaulting at 96 Olympics and getting emotional about it. But it also shows you at that time and kind of what the culture of gymnastics was, which is to ignore your feelings, ignore your body. And uh, if you work hard, if you push through things without listening to yourself, you're going to be successful. And it's something to be um, awarded. And that's kind of what it was growing up is being able to um, watch athletes ignore their feelings and not speak out. And, um, and then you will be successful, you know, and I think it's a great example of now you look in um, the last Olympics with Simone Biles, and it's basically the same situation. I mean, we had a mental issue there, and rightly so with everything that she's gone through. But to see that moment finally come to where she said, I'm not okay. And the coaches said, that's all right. You don't have to do it. I think was a huge, huge step, but obviously it doesn't mean that it's over. I think that was an awakening for a lot of coaches to go, Oh, we can do that. It's okay to do that. The priority isn't the medals. The priority is the athlete, you know, and I think we're just starting. And I think the more that we speak out and have things like this helpline, it can continue us moving forward. And hopefully one day we can be ahead of other sports and not behind. Mm -hmm. You've been really open about your struggles with, you know, having lack of confidence, anxiety, you've spoke about eating disorders. Is that something that at the time you were able to recognize was unhealthy or did it take you being away from the sport to actually look at it and be like, this is wrong and this is not how it should be? I think at the end, probably the last year or so is when I 
all of those things happened at once. It was the anxiety, it was the depression, it was suicidal thoughts and eating disorders. Um, there are some things that I knew, I definitely knew I wasn't okay. I think that was the biggest thing, that there is something wrong and I wasn't okay. I think the number one problem was I didn't know how to fix it. You know, it there felt like there was no answer. And if I did open up to people, it was definitely the wrong people that were not helping me. It was that same culture that we just talked about. It was people helping me, thinking they're helping me by pushing through. Let's push through this. You know, let's not really look at the real issue. Let's push through this because you're going to regret if you just like quit everything. And I'm not saying quitting or taking a break really was the answer, but it definitely wasn't um you know, what they did definitely wasn't the right answer either. So I think if there was someone to be able to reset me and be able to tell me, you know, why I'm having these feelings, it was just very confusing time. There was so much going on in my head. The other thing too, that I would say that I very was very blind to was the eating disorder. I did not think I had an eating disorder because I always looked at eating disorders as someone that was like anorexic or someone that thought they were heavy. And I didn't think binging was an eating disorder. I thought binging was me being weak and not being able to eat um, correctly. I also thought be, I was throwing up because I didn't want to get in trouble, not because I thought I was heavy. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was something that, um, you know, just was like my own issue and that people wouldn't understand it. So I did not realize that it was a type of eating disorder or anything like that. So to be able to have the right people to go to was really important at that time. And I felt very alone because I didn't have that. Yeah, I think it's really important that you just said that because I feel like even outside of sports, I feel like people don't talk about binge eating enough as an eating disorder. I mean, we've struggled mm -hmm. with it our whole life, just yeah, overeating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a struggle, I think, for a lot of people. And just because you're not, you know, super skinny or you're not throwing up all the time, that doesn't mean that you don't have an unhealthy relationship with food. And I think that's something that's not talked yes. about. And it's very, I think it's embarrassing too, as an athlete, because athletes, I think, aren't looked at that way as struggling in that direction. They're more looked at like, they're very disciplined. So, you know, they're going to go the other route of being like anorexic. And so it was embarrassing for me that I wasn't eating when I was stressed and stuff, because I was supposed to be an athlete. I was supposed to be strong and, you know, really disciplined. And I, I admired people that were not eating you know what I mean? It was like, how do they do that? And, you know, oh, I must, and I still to this day struggle with that child belief, that childhood belief that I grew up with of feeling weak because I turn to food when I'm stressed or whatever, you know? So definitely at that time, it was so confusing and so much blame I was putting on myself, I think, because I just thought this is not what athletes do that are preparing for Olympic trials or whatever, you know? Yeah. So. Well, and you mentioned too, that like you didn't want to upset your coaches. And I think that's something that a lot of athletes deal with as well. Like feeling like there's going to be repercussions if they say something or, you know, they're going to disappoint people if they, you know, don't perform a certain way or they don't look a certain way. So it sounds like that's very much something that you dealt with as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you learn that as you're growing up um, by observing. So I was never, I would say most of the time, I was never yelled or screamed at or threatened. What it, the, the part that was, I would say, I don't know if you call it abuse, but is observing other athletes that are shamed for things and then going, okay, I can't do that. Shouldn't do that. I mean, my whole thing was wasn't, I don't, wouldn't even say my whole goal was to go to the Olympics and win. It was like, 
I need to be liked by my coaches so I can survive through this and they can help me, you know, get through. Okay. All right. So this athlete over here, just ask them a question and you look at their face and you can tell they're not happy with her questioning them. So don't do that. You know, oh, here's an athlete that they're taking a break and they're having, they're eating a candy bar. And you look at the coach's face and you can see either a, a reaction from them or they make a comment. Okay. You know, you can't eat bad food in front of them. You know, don't do that. So it's all this observing. It's like a secret thing that everyone knows, you know, you're not supposed to ask them questions. You're not supposed to, you know, cheat on your conditioning. You're not supposed to take a day off because you're sick. All of these things are observed by their reactions. They may not even say something, but you can tell that they're not happy with that. And I was not going to work out, you know, six hours a day, five days a week and have this coach not like me. Yeah. You know, that, that would just be horrible. So, <laughs> so, um, and it's sad because I do, I, now I do admire those, those athletes that were able to speak up at the moment and didn't really care if their coaches, um, they had a harder time, I would say during at that moment. But I think as adults, they're much better off because they just have those personalities where they're able to speak out and question things, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that also goes into like, again, the normalization of the toxicity of not just gymnastics, but all sports, seeing how the other athletes you train with are treated and how the coaches respond to them. It really does condition a certain type of response from you. Like, I have to put up with this if I want to be the best. This is what's normal. I can't say anything or my coach is going to hate me. Um, I just feel like that particular aspect of the culture is what's been wrong with the sport for so many years. It it transfers over to being a coach yeah. because if you're not educating yourself or reading books or going to therapy and you go from an athlete to being a coach, that cycle just continues and that you think as a coach that this is normal. Yep. This is normal. And and same with me. I mean, I thought I did all the healing I could. And I was, you know, I started like being a head coach, I think at like 23 or something, way too young. And assuming that I was very nice to everybody and because I was much nicer than what my coaches were. And then now as older, being 41 going, my God, I did some things that I'm not I'm not proud of. And and I thought we're okay at the time because it's just what you do, you know. And so I think making that normal too is is realizing that there are coaches that were athletes that were brought up in the same culture, just like we do with parents. It's the same, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing. It just, the cycle continues if you don't educate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, when you look back at like gymnasts, former gymnasts that turn into coaches, and sometimes you hear a lot of allegations of abuse coming from former gymnasts that are now coaches. And I think it's because they are doing what they know and they're just you know kind of repeating yeah. the environment that they grew up in themselves as an athlete and it's like yes. how do you break that cycle and you know change and I think what's helpful is that speaking out is is if if I was a coach and and this, it's hard to put the responsibility on the athlete um and it needs to go both ways but I I think part of the thing that can help is is if I was a coach and an athlete came to me and said hey you know that one time you know a long time ago and you said this to me that really ruined me it really hurt me and to hear I think that sometimes and, and this is not all situation obviously there's very very abusive coaches you know that all that stuff but there's some that make mistakes not knowing that they're making mistakes. And I think to hear, because I think a lot of coaches love their athletes, to hear that they hurt their athlete or affected them later on in life, to hear that from them 
is healing and helpful and it makes changes, especially because there's always that borderline of those coaches that are, you know, need extreme help. And then there's the coaches that they just don't realize that they've hurt somebody. I mean, I've talked to a coach before that not too long ago, well, it was like five years ago that um, still weighed their athletes. And he really felt that it was okay that he thought they've never said anything to him that they were hurt by him or that it affected them. And I said, they, they would never, they would never go up to you and tell you that this is not okay. You know, Mm -hmm. and he's basically just going off of it, that they still come to the gym and visit. They still, you know, love him and stuff. And that it's only science-based that they have to be a certain weight so they don't get injured and stuff. And he just didn't understand that their athletes, he really felt like his athletes love him so much that they would tell him if it affected them. And so that's another thing that I think needs to get out there is that you may be affecting a lot of athletes that you you have no idea that you have because it's very difficult for someone to come out and say, you've hurt me, you know. Right. Especially, and as we've seen with gymnastics, after a lifetime of not being believed, you could come forward with your experience and your parents may not believe you, your coach may not believe you, random people online may not believe you. You know, how do you trust that people are actually going to listen and not just listen, but do something about it? You know, within this culture, you don't see athletes speaking up to an adult, really. Um, At least speaking up to an adult and then having it go over well, because usually they're not believed. Usually they face some sort of retaliation. And that can honestly cause rifts that impact every area of that athlete's life. You know, it can impact the relationship that they have with that coach. It can impact the relationship they have with their parents. We've seen that sometimes. It can affect where they end up training, their future plans. I mean, historically, it has been a very, very big risk for an athlete to speak up. And I think that's why we see so many athletes are so discouraged against doing it because it just, you know, typically hasn't been received well. That's the the other part that I think can help people is to remember that getting it out, it is poison. Getting it out, whether it's received well or not, getting it out is healing for you anyway. You know what I mean? It's just being able to speak. I think one of the worst things is the holding the things inside and keeping it a secret and um, whatever. And people sometimes go, oh, that was an abuse. It was, you know, it wasn't that hard. But if it affected you, it still needs to come out. It still needs to be talked about. You still need to be healed from it. And so I think, um, Hopefully that can help people knowing that if you speak out with no intention of um, someone's apologizing or, you know, having good remarks from it or whatever, that you're still going to get a benefit out of it. You know, if, as long as you're kind of going into it that in that way. We've yeah. seen some positive changes and more resources available to athletes. And, you know, this athlete helpline is one of those. So Kathy, if you could just kind of give us an overview of, you know, what it is, who can use it and how it works. Yeah, totally. Okay. So it is a confidential call, text and chat line that is there for not just athletes, but former athletes, um, survivors, athletes of all ages. So from, you know, the littlest ones who can text and chat to college age and over that, it's there for coaches, parents, medical staff, like really anyone in all sports communities to just call and 
get any kind of answers or support they might be looking for. So it might be just emotional support to talk something through. It might be crisis intervention at a higher level. It might be someone just looking for resources. You know, we have a big database full of um, athlete-focused resources that can be accessed by these counselors. And then also, if this person is calling and talks it through and is maybe ready to report to a certain entity, our counselors know how to walk them through reporting guidelines. So we're not a reporting hotline. We don't take reports, but we can, if the athlete or whoever is calling in is ready and feels confident um, and empowered and wants to report, we can kind of hold their hand and help them figure out how to do that. So are the crisis counselors former athletes themselves? Yeah, so our counselors, um, they are mostly athletes. Um, we have a couple parents of athletes as well. And um, they were actually trained by these researchers, um, one out of the University of Toronto and one out of the UK, who have done a ton of research on emotional, sexual, physical abuse within athletes. And so they made a curriculum for our counselors and they were trained by them. So they're very sports focused and, um, you know, ready to kind of answer those questions. And we've talked a lot of, in the training about just normalized culture and how to address athletes and everyone in the sports community with the mind frame that, you know, we know this culture well, we've all kind of been in it and lived it. And how do we talk people through it, knowing that this is their life and this is what they think is normalized and kind of help support them, but understand that that's where their minds are going to be at possibly when they call. So an issue that we see a lot in gymnastics is athletes reporting abuse and then it taking a long time for it to be investigated. And then oftentimes we still see those coaches actively coaching. So is that something mm -hmm. that you're able to support not only the athletes, but their families through that situation, knowing that it's probably a really frustrating time for them? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I just kind of want to speak to child welfare in general. Like these organizations are so underfunded and overwhelmed by cases that it can get frustrating to report, right? Because just kind of how the system set up can be in a way where, you know, it might take a long time for something to get investigated or maybe someone's not happy with the outcome just because of this, you know, the way these systems get bottlenecked. And I think as, you know, we see this wonderful outpouring of people being empowered in reporting what's happening or speaking out or advocating for themselves, then we have investigations that are being delayed um, probably because they're getting so many cases in. So it's this kind of sad after effect of that happening. So, I mean, people can definitely, even if they're kind of waiting on an investigation or it's, you know, just taking longer than they would like it to take or then maybe they feel like is safe for it to be taking, that safety is not there, you know, thing out, kind of like Vanessa just said, like, keep your voice heard, like, keep talking to other parents, other coaches, if possible, talk to the NGBs, um, if it's school sports, talk to those officials or admin, but, you know, just keep that voice going and open if something's not happening and that action's not happening, your voice can be heard, and I love, you know, that we're continuing to build the confidence for people to empower themselves to be able to do that. Um, I think also we touched a little bit on kind of that fear of retaliation of reporting. Um, again, I think it's really important to now in this environment to make sure that we educate people to know that, you know, 
being in these environments, if the coach is still coaching or if they're in a gym that's still practicing this way, you don't have to stay in that gym in order to have success and in order to win. You know, there really are coaches out there that are using amazing positive methods and have a great environment in the gym and have success. So really knowing if you report and you don't see anything happening, if you don't report and if you know you're just not liking the situation in the gym it's it's detrimental to your child it's you feel like it's detrimental to yourself if you're an athlete and you realize that there are definitely other gyms and other coaching methods that can achieve success that's not the only way and I think a lot of people are realizing that too you know you might if I can step in if there isn't a choice it's not Mm -hmm. worth it you know what I mean it's not worth it we got to look at the priority there because some, sometimes, you know, people might live in a certain place where, okay, it takes a, two hours to get to the other gym. So you got to move. It's just like not a choice or not in the cards, or maybe there's not an, another elite gym nearby. It's not worth it. So, you know, yeah, you got to, yeah. if you got to take a break, you take a, you take a break until yeah. things are done. And if not, find another sport. I'm sorry, but it's not yeah. worth it for your kid to be involved. If, if you're the one doing the reporting and you feel like they're in harm's way, then I would say get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes into education too, to parents and education for kiddos and coaches on the detrimental effects of emotional maltreatment and being treated in a certain way. And, you know, trauma is so different for everyone. The way one kid might experience an environment may be completely different from the way another kid might experience an environment. So really giving that education to parents on adverse childhood experiences and how that kiddo might be feeling and how that can affect them later on their mental health as a child and then as an adult and maybe years after can help those parents make those decisions in do I need to leave the sport do I need to find some other sport that might be a happier option because gymnastics can be that very insular um some sometimes unhealthy environment for some kids yeah yeah no that's a good point with like having to educate parents and make them aware of it too because I think that like even with like you Vanessa when you were a gymnast like you felt that your parents thought that you would regret stopping gymnastics or whatever sometimes I think parents they get so involved where they like want their athlete to go to a certain gym because this is where all the good gymnasts train and this gym has so many world medalists and whatever whatever and the parents almost are the ones that are kind of pushing it even more so they want it more athlete themselves yeah for sure and sometimes it's not sometimes I will say to give parents some credit it's they think it is for the for the athlete that the athlete says or their child says I want to go to the Olympics mom if my mom said she was going to take me out of gymnastics I would have you know early on you know if there was something because I mean there was things early on that I would say at my gym was probably not the healthiest things and it wasn't extreme things but just you know, doing way too many routines and and staying over till 10 o'clock to finish my assignment or something to where they, you know, if they would have came up to me and said, hey, this is not okay, we're going to take you out, I would have killed them. You know what I mean? Because I still was loving it and stuff. So it's a really hard decision. I think the part that I have to think about is the, they have to fast forward to the future is when, is my child, when they grow, when they're an adult and realize everything that's happening, that my main priority wasn't them. And that it was, I was concerned, you know, she was going to be mad at me because, you know, she wanted to whatever, go to the Olympics or she loved her coaches. She didn't want to get in trouble. You have to be a parent and you have to make the right decision. Even if it's hard at the time, you got to look at what's going to affect them later on. Mm -hmm. When you were like 
um, kind of in like the peak of your elite gymnastics career, do you feel like if your parents would have said to you, if you don't want to do this, don't do it? Do you think that would have been easier for you to walk away from the sport, especially if you felt like your heart wasn't in it? Um, that's a hard question. Uh, because I was such a people pleaser. If my, if my mom, I mean, I probably wouldn't even believed her anyway, if she would have said that, you know what I mean? I, but if, if they would have said, Hey, you can, you can stop right now. Um, it just probably would have depended on what moment it was at. There was lots of different times where I wanted to quit and times I wanted to stay, but yes, you need to hear that. It's okay. From the very beginning. I don't care if you're seven years old and you say you want to quit there needs to be a yes first you know and I've always heard of there's some people that have said like you say yes and say but you can do it on a good day when you end on a good day then you can quit you know because we also want to teach our kids how to push through tough things it all depends on why they want to quit and stuff but you have to know that you are free to go if you want to you know, and then a lot of times I mean I believe I've told this to many parents and I said give her a break let her let her quit and then you'll see if she really loves it or not. She wants to come back and what the reason was, but never say no. You got to say yes and then give them a week. And and I, and I did that when I was younger. I quit because I lost um, a competition for the first time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my mom said no at first, and which was like devastating. But then like a week later, she said, okay. And I think I took off like two weeks and I was bored out of my brains. And I said, you know what? I don't even care that I'm losing. I'll just go, I'll go back because I like doing it. And that was really helpful at the time because I kind of felt like this is my decision to to be in it. But there was another moment when I, um, after championships 99 and I wanted to quit and be done, I wasn't able to, I wasn't, nobody was going to let me do that. You know, whether it be USA Gymnastics or coaches or parents, it was everybody was like, this is not an okay thing to do. And I don't think I would have quit, but I needed to hear the yes, you can. Yeah, it could have made a difference. Yes, Kathy, you mentioned that the child welfare system is overwhelmed, and that's something that I think she would agree with as well, in the child welfare system. But what is the difference, or I guess the importance, to have an athlete-specific hotline as opposed to just like the regular child abuse hotline? Like, What's the difference with having a specific athlete hotline? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a lot of what we were just talking about, right? There's such a normalized culture and it's such a specific culture, especially in gymnastics, you know, it's an individual sport. And so there's not a team around you. It's most of gymnasts are people pleasers because it's a perfectionist sport. It's a sport where you're out of a 10 until you get to elite and you're trying to be as perfect as possible. And that extends to so many different places in your life. I mean, when you guys were talking about binging and purging, you you know, even if you felt like you're looking at someone who isn't eating or someone who has anorexia and they look like they're perfect because they're able to not eat, eating disorders in general are about control. They're about, you know, feeling like you have control over something. So that's a perfectionist mindset in itself to try to have that control with that eating disorder. So I think there's just so many little things like that within sports that, need to be addressed by someone who has either been there or who has a lot of education on what's going on in the sports environment. And ultimately, every person cannot have every bit of knowledge in every single sport. The cultures are different within every sport. And there's problems with that in every sport. There's abuse in every sport. There's, um, you know, eating disorders in every sport. There's all sorts of different things that we see. But having the knowledge just in general of, 
what that culture is to have that intensity and want to win from a very young age and want to spend all your time doing it is really important versus child welfare more focused on general abuse and especially parenting and not having that component of a coach coming into the whole situation, um, I think is the difference as well. Oftentimes kids spend more time with their coach than they do with their parents. So normal child welfare, we're talking about the parent and the caregiver, but now we're bringing in a coach. Maybe we're bringing in like an athletic trainer. Maybe we're bringing in, you know, admin at the gym who see these kids more than the parents do. So there's this whole separate component there um, that doesn't exist always in um, general child welfare. This next question could be for either of you. What are some red flags that either parents or athletes should be looking for when it comes to abusive coaching? I mean, for me, there's a couple of things. One, if you find out that any gym is weighing their athletes, I would say get the heck out of there. And, you know, I think a lot of people say like, okay, well, you know, we're going to teach them about good nutrition, but this isn't your own diet. You know what I mean? I mean, I've seen a lot of coaches that will like give advice on what they do and things like that. And they're, oh, we don't talk about weight, but we're talking about nutrition. No, you need, if you want to go that route, you need to have an actual nutritionist or something like that. And I would say educating the parents, not so much the athlete on what they're eating. I think just any kind of emphasis on the body is just so detrimental to girls, um, especially, I mean, you already have to wear a leotard and all of those things. So I would say, get out, get out. If you hear that they're weighing, or if you see a scale in the office and get out. And then I really would look at, you know, even if you have a five-year-old and they're starting gymnastics, I would go and sit and watch the highest level that that is working out there and look if any of the kids are smiling you know, I think number one, you can, you can tell the vibe from a gym or the culture by what their highest level athletes look like when they're working out. Are they talking? Are they, you know, getting yelled at? Are they just miserable? And, you know, there's no smiling happening whatsoever. Um, I think that is a big telltale of what is happening in the gym. And then you have to ask yourself, can we go somewhere else? Or, if there's not a choice, this is just not the not going to be in our cards. I really think that it, I think it's a really hard decision, but um, I think you can get a lot out of gymnastics that's recreational. Also, you don't have to go to somewhere that's going to have Olympic athletes and things like that. So um, I think we, like I said, you have to keep the priority on on your child and and not necessarily what you think their future is going to look like with college or the Olympics and things like that. Yeah, I love that you said that because, you know, not every parent is coming in as an athlete themselves. And so they don't necessarily know to look for those things. They don't have those personal experiences to look back on and go, you know, I felt this way. I don't want my child to feel this way. So I love that, you know, you give those specific topics. That is something to really pick up on that you can see at competitions, you can see in the gym, and you can see in your athlete too. I mean, if you put a kiddo into a sport and start noticing changes in them, especially on the competitive level, they come home and you're seeing different behavior than you saw before. That's really something to look for in their normal everyday lives. For sure. I, I remember I went to like a clinic basically on, you know, how to be a positive coach and stuff. And she was, she somebody was asking a question about like, how do you know if a gym you know, is, is too tough or whatever. And she said, look at the athlete's eyes. If they have dead eyes, she goes, that's how I would, that's how I would explain it. They look like they have dead eyes um, when they're working out as it's really telling to look at their faces. We talked about 
educating parents a lot. Are there any other areas that you guys think still need work today, whether that's in regards to just like general athlete safety, mental health, even reporting? Um, I mean, yeah, like, like I was going to say, you know, yeah, the p- parent education, I was just continuing to realize that parents are coaches and coaches are parents. They're the same in one and, and that they can be wonderful people and they also can be toxic. And so if there's can be more support and education for parents and coaches, I think we look so much at athletes and how athletes can get help, which is totally needed. Um, but also we need to realize that these are the ones that need help also. And where change can actually happen is being able to support them by giving them education and throwing it in their faces and, and, and realizing that there is something to breaking the cycle and, um, giving applause to coaches that want to change and realizing that they're human. I like that a lot. I know, you know, as more abuse is coming to light, there's also more resources that are kind of coming out and more educational programs that are coming out. And I think that goes back to, to the red flags of the gym. Is there, you know, education put in place for the coaches? Are they continually working on um, how to approach the gymnasts and how they're teaching? And um, do you see that ongoing education with all of the staff and not just the coaches again, too, with everyone there? They should all be trained on um, different modalities and different behavioral approaches with kiddos and then the consequences and the mental health that goes along with that. So yeah, just yes, that. I would love to see more mm-hmm. clinics or congresses and things like that that have more to do with that aspect of mental of mental health and not how to teach a skill or something mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's there needs to be more of how can we make successful athletes but do it in the right way where they are healthy adults you know afterwards for yeah. parents and coaches well yeah because the mental aspect of it is just as if not more important than the skills yeah. like sure you have yeah. to be able to do the skills but like there's so much mentally that has to be going on correctly I mean hello yeah I mean like if I you know what I mean like I could do the skills but I someone mentally help me please because yeah. there and there's so many that are um yeah, that just their careers just did not end well because of that. And people definitely were trying to help me, but it was not, you know, there was no education behind it whatsoever. So I was going to ask, and if this is too personal, I apologize, but did you see a therapist or like a sports psychologist while you were competing? I did. And they were not helpful at first. I I only did. I saw, um, well, there's two times I saw like a sports psychologist when I was very young. I was going to say very young, but the compulsory is where I used to fall on the beam all the time. And so I went to a sports psychologist and it was really funny because they told me to like, you know, it was like slowly learning about meditation and like visualizing and I would visualize me doing my beam routine and then like all of my stuffed animals cheering for me when I landed my beam routine. And that was super, it is so funny that I would go back to a competition and I used to make my beam routine all the time. Um, and I used to like bring a stuffed animal to my competitions. So that was really helpful. But the the other time was when I was super depressed in Texas, when I moved to um, Woga and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I just was just super depressed. And so I saw a psychologist. It wasn't a sports psychologist. And I told her I was suicidal. And she basically just told my coaches and my my um my mom. And then nobody did anything about it. It was kind of like, oh, this is serious. But we're not, you know, I, f- I feel like if you heard that your child was suicidal, that you'd probably be like, maybe we should be done. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? 
like we need to make a drastic change or something. And it was kind of just like, we got to get her through this, you know? And so I think a lot of ways too, that I learned through therapy was that that a lot of it was self-sabotage, I think for myself, because I wanted to get, I was just so miserable and it, you know, it was like my body, my mind was telling me, you know, we're going to help you get out of this, you know? And it was sad because even though I was very devastated about not making the Olympics and stuff on that plane ride home, going home, I was, had a huge sense of relief and, and I would say probably more relief than devastation about not going, you know? So yeah, I did. And that's why I'm, I'm a bit advocate on, um, find the right therapist for you, find the right person for you, because they're not all going to mesh well with you. You know, you have to find the right one. Yeah. Just like parenting, you know, and coaching styles, not everyone is going to respond to the same thing and the same with therapy. And I I think it's important for parents to too, if you don't know, you know, there's a difference between a school psychologist, a clinical psychologist, a therapist, a psychiatrist, you know, they're all different degrees and they're all different credentials. And a sports psychologist is really there for like mental blocks and building confidence and like you said visualization they're not necessarily someone with a clinical training that's going to be able to go into um, mental health diagnoses into the anxiety and the depression Um, and so a psychologist who has a doctoral degree you know they can go into that but you want to try to find the right one maybe you don't go to one that if you especially if you have concerns about the gym go to one that has been referred to by the gym maybe you find your own through your insurance or um, through recommendations from people outside externally um, a master's level therapist can also be a clinical therapist that can address these issues and go try a few see who your kid might mesh with see as an adult if you have you know anything you want to address uh, either from your prior athletic experience or just as a normal adult who you know obviously I'm an advocate for yeah. therapy I'm a therapist myself but you know, try to find one that you mesh with. You might not have that right at the first or the second or the third one, but there eventually will be someone that, you know, you feel like you have a rapport and bond with and can speak easily. And I mean, that will make such a huge change in kind of the outlook on any adult or child, really. Yes, I love that. I think it is very confusing who to go to where I didn't even know if I didn't even know who I went to. You know what I mean? It was just like and I don't know where they were found or what. So it's like, yeah, if there was um more education. I mean, I'm sure it's out there, but like, yeah, something that just can be like, if you are suffering from this and this, this is the person that you would see. You know what I mean? Because um it is really confusing. Well, I think when you're dealing with an athlete, I think a lot of people go to sports psychologists, like you were saying, Kathy, but that's not necessarily, that'll help you with a mental block, but if you're feeling depressed or suicidal or anxious, you need someone who has more training than just a sports psychologist and focusing on just that aspect of it. And I think the average person doesn't understand the difference between those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there's not to say that a sports psychologist may not have clinical training, but um, you really want to find someone who understands, you know, the mental health and clinical piece, and then hopefully they understand the athlete piece as well. You know, there are clinical therapists who have had athletic training with athletes um, kind of on top of their clinical training. Um, there's an alliance that I'm actually a part of called the Alliance um, of Social Workers for Sports. So all of them are social workers who have had that training in um, therapeutic modalities, but then they also have had extra training in approaching athletes and working with athletes. And most of them were athletes themselves. A lot of them have relationships or are from different university athletic programs throughout the country. So, um, and they have a provider list on their website. So finding therapists like that, although it's 
might be hard in rural areas. You know, we have virtual therapists now. We have more ability to reach out and find those resources in other areas, I think is so important. Like we just discussed, you know, that culture and understanding the culture on top of being able to address um, mental health issues can really be like the key to success and just making those improvements. So where can people find this hotline? Do you have like a website or some social media pages that you want to plug here? Yeah, so um, the website is athletehelpline.org, and the chat is through that. And then the phone number is 1-888-279-1026, and that is texting and calling. And right now, the hours are Monday through Friday, 12 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. You know, we're still, we just launched in October. We're still quite new. And so that's when our specialty sports counselors are um, available. If anyone calls text chats outside of those business hours, they will get routed to the 24 hour national child abuse hotline. And those counselors can see that it's coming in from the athlete helpline. So they can say, you know, if you're in distress or in crisis right now, it can absolutely help you. Um, or if you'd like to call back within these hours, you can reach the sports crisis specifically. And we'll make sure to put that in our show notes down below for anyone that's listening. And we'll probably start doing that going forward on all our episodes, just so people know like where it's at and where to find it. We'll yeah, well, it. we have a lot of athletes that listen to our podcast, so I definitely want to help. And parents as well. Yeah, get that out in any way we can. So was there anything else that either of you wanted to add that we didn't talk about? I mean, I think we covered a lot of... <laughs> A lot of the issues that are happening, you know, but I, I would say that I'm very um, optimistic about the future. And I think just like a podcast like this, that is bringing awareness about all of these things is it would have never happened 20 years ago, you know, so I'm just super excited about the future and and that my daughter, if she decides to do gymnastics, is going to be OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah, add? No, I mean, Vanessa is so articulate and so great at, you know, from her experiences and, you know, from what she's learned since her experiences, I think she has so much insight into what's going on. And um, I think a lot of what we talked about today and a lot of what I'm seeing within our sport and with uh, other sports that I'm learning more about as I'm doing this job, um, I am hopeful as well that things will, things will get better and things will improve for the next generations. And, you know, we're all here because we love gymnastics and um, we want kids to keep loving gymnastics. So making those healthy environments is really the key to hold that love. <laughs> well, thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time to come chat with us. We appreciate it. And I have yes. to say, Vanessa, I put on Twitter that we were going to be having you on and so many people reached out and said, tell her we love her. So I was like, oh, that's so awesome. If they had like questions for you, everyone's just like, no questions, just tell her we love her. <laughs> I always feel so loved by the gymnastics community. They've always been so great towards me. So yes, I love them all. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Brittany here in editing. This next part that you're about to hear, we actually had stopped recording and we were wrapping up and then Vanessa started talking about the new book that she's writing and then me and Ashley were like, crap, that was something that we meant to ask her about actually on record. So we started recording again and picked it up and just with editing, it's kind of impossible to make it seem like it was all naturally part of one conversation. So this is the portion after the fact where Vanessa was talking about the book, if you're interested in that. I actually had, um, her name is Beth Fair. She is a 
was a co-author for a book called Silver Lining, and she wrote a book with Elizabeth Beasel, the Olympic swimmer. And she said, hey, I would love to like, you know, do a co-author thing. And I met her. And my God, we we just like hit it off right away. And I've always wanted to write one, but I just never felt in the right place or the right time. And we're just having like the best time writing it together. But yeah, it's just it's my story of my career. And I know everyone already knows everything of what happened and stuff. But I think it's really interesting to just kind of be um, in my mind of like what was going on when when all of that stuff happened. There's a lot of stuff also that I still haven't told, but I'm just really excited about it. I think it's, again, like I talk about, like that is, you know, getting the poison out and, and it's healing. So all of this stuff is basically for me to be able to release stuff and tell the whole story. And, um, and I just hope people enjoy it. I have had a lot of fans say that they wanted me to do one. So it's going to be a bestseller. I already know. (laughs) How far along in the process are you with it? Oh gosh, we just, so we've probably done like three Zooms together where we go through like kind of each chapter. So we're, I think we're, we wrote like the, what's it called? Like the epilogue? Is that how you say it? Yeah, the, that first part. And then we're, we're like on chapter one and stuff, but I think it should be, we're going for like by the end of the year. We're also going to go to NCAA championships together because I also am on the board for the American Gymnastics Alumni Association, where we help people that have retired from gymnastics. And she, um, she's going to be there with me so we can just kind of like, you know, go over everything and, and just keep writing the book together. But yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. I'm ready for it now. (laughs) (laughs) Call for so many people too. I mean, not only people who grew up with you, you know, are going to be so interested, but future too. Um, I hope, I hope so. I hope so. I think it just really would be, you know, I've always wanted like, to read about Kim Kim Semeskel is my idol and, and I had that just book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was she feeling at a you know at the Olympics when she felt you know it's just it's just really interesting to me and I and and it it also it is very healing for me. I have to, had to go back and watch Olympic trials and and um I don't think I've ever watched the entire thing. You know, I've I've watched like certain clips of me and stuff, but I've never watched the entire broadcast. So it was very interesting and um hard but also very healing at the same time it, it seems like a different person you I know when you, um, you watch stuff like that does it like put you back in that moment like do you remember it so clearly yeah, it it kind of makes me like look at myself like a daughter like I like it's it's like I feel so bad for her you know what I mean like I feel sad for her that she it's like yeah she needed a hug and someone to be like this is what you need to do and it's okay and everything will turn out fine you know what I mean but it was just a really hard place and I could see when I watched that like the sadness the dead eyes that we we're talking about you know kind of just being in shock and not um feeling very alone and so yeah so it's kind of weird it, it doesn't feel like me it feels like it's like my daughter kind of thing it's very strange <laughs> Do you um have social media that you want to plug for the fans to follow you, Vanessa? I do have, I do. I am on TikTok. Um, who knows where I'm going to go with that? You know, I try to do funny stuff about, you know, my gymnastics and things like that, but I'm just the having TikTok fun is on hilarious. it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to bring some humor to some stuff, but I think that's just at Vanessa Atler one is what the, the TikTok thing is. And, um, and I have my Instagram is, um, I think, River Darwin, which is my kids' names, 
Um, but yeah, you can go on Instagram or TikTok and see, I give updates on my book. I'm trying to kind of like update people so they can kind of see the, um, the process of what it's like to write with a co-author and things like that. And so we're going to like kind of document a lot of that stuff. So I'm probably going to put that on Instagram and TikTok too. So if anyone's interested. Perfect. Her TikTok's a great follow. I will highly recommend that. Well, thank you guys again so much for your time and both of you for the work that you're doing on the advocacy. It doesn't go unnoticed and you guys are both making such a big difference. So just want to thank you again for your time here today. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Vanessa and Kathy for joining us this week to help spread awareness for this incredible resource. Again, the website and the phone number for the Courage First Athlete Helpline will be in the bio of this episode, and we're going to start putting it in our episodes going forward for any athlete, parent, or coach who may need it. We just want that to be something that is accessible to you guys at all times. It's been a couple of weeks since we last talked about NCAA gymnastics, so we'll be back to that next week, as well as talking about the Nastia Cup and the Winter Cup that happened over the weekend, so you can expect lots of gymnastics talk and updates in our episode next week. Until then, we hope you guys have an amazing week. We love you all so, so much, and we will talk to you real soon. Bye. Bye.